ahead and grab out your Bible, something to take some notes with today, everybody. We are finishing up our series in the book of James, uh, and I'll probably reference that a little bit as we go today. I'm going to keep you guys in the loop as we, as we go. Each week, I'll tell you how it's going, how the, the healing process is continuing. But grab it out. We're finishing our series called A Faith That Still Moves. Uh, this is... It's been a fun series for me. It's been a challenging series for me. I have stepped on my toes more than I ever stepped on yours during this series. So uh, I've enjoyed, James is one of the most practical books of the Bible. I enjoy practicality. I like when it doesn't sugarcoat things. I like when it just says it plainly. And James is like that. James does not care if he punches you in the mouth. He just keeps on rolling. It's amazing. And our theme verse has come out of James chapter 1. And this is what it says in verse 22. It says, do not be merely listeners of the word. So don't merely listen. Don't merely just learn. Don't consume all of the knowledge and deceive yourself. He says, do what it says. Like, do what it says. So this is not a modern day problem. James wrestled with this, with the church he was leading, with the people that he was writing to, with the Christians of his day. This idea that we are learning more than we are living. That we have all of the knowledge at our fingertips, more so today than ever in history. But we have all of this knowledge, but we're not living out what we actually know. And James is like, guys, guys, don't deceive yourselves. Like, do what it says. Learn all the things. That's great. Have all the knowledge. That's great. Do all those things, but actually live it out. Do what it actually says. And James' whole entire book, his letter is centered around this idea. So we've gone chapter by chapter, uh, five chapters in James. And so this is our fifth week in the middle of it. And I hope uh, that you're reading along with us. If you do the plan in the Bible reading each year, uh, the book of James is actually coming up this month, November, this next, next four weeks. Uh, we'll be reading through it. So if you'd like to read along, but I would encourage you as we study books is read along. There's a lot of knowledge and wisdom that we haven't even had the time to get to in these chapters. But we've been studying through the five different chapters of James and we have hit some very hard hitting topics. Week one, we talked about how there is pain in our lives and the trials that we walk through. That it's not an easy thing to talk about and James just plowed right into it. But the idea that God is actually shaping us and developing something on the inside of us in the midst of that Week number two, we talked about how easy it is to discriminate, how in our world today, how there's, it's so easy to show uh, preferential treatment to a certain group of people or a prejudice against others. And James says that should not be, that discrimination and racism have no place in the church, in the body of Christ, that we need to lead the way in showing unity and love. And that was week two. Week three, we talked about our words, how our tongue is set on fire by hell itself, how it's so important and difficult to get any kind of control over our tongue and the words that we say, how we need to listen to the words that God says and be careful of how we are treating the people in our lives. That was week three. Last week, we talked about our perspective, uh, how it's easy to get into a self-focused mindset, a selfishly focused lifestyle, and how we have to keep God at the center, how we have to keep him as our focus and as what we're actually living our lives for. And as hard-hitting as every single one of those messages from James are, I would gladly welcome them all and skip this week. Come on, somebody. Like, I would, I would gladly have all four of those in my life every week. I would welcome because this week is my least favorite topic on the planet. About halfway through James 5, he gives us this command that, honestly, as your pastor, I despise. Watch this in verse 7. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters. Now, I don't know, in my, I don't know about you, but in my vernacular, that is a curse word. Come on, somebody. That is like... 
Like this idea, because I, if I had the authority, we would not have this chapter. James would be four. We'd have a four-week message. We'd start at the movies this week. Come on, somebody. It would just be, they, but I, in fact, I was going to sing you the song. I hate patience. And I was like, I could sing him the song, be patient, be patient, but we don't have time. Come on, somebody. It's just going to be. <laughs> in fact, I was laughing this morning. My hair is a testament to the fact that I do not have patience. I was like, I need, a, I need an object lesson, Lord. And the Lord is like, here you go. And I was like, not that one. I don't want that one, Lord. I just give me something different. I personally, this is something I wrestle with in my life. If you don't, you can check out today. This is something that I cannot stand about the Christian walk, this idea of patience. In fact, I think if you are going 30 in a 45, that is reckless driving. Come on, somebody. Like, we, we will take you straight to jail because you are a danger to yourself and to others. That is what, if 45 is the posted limit, that is what we have all agreed is the minimum that we should drive, not the maximum. Because we got places to go and people to see and things. To, no patience. I have no patience for all of you. In fact, I taught about this a couple of years ago. I just kind of let you guys in on how impatient I am while I drive. And somebody, uh, I won't say who, Amy Fountain, made me a little sign that said, I told you my word for when I get out on the road, I'm like, pick a lane, jerk face. You got to pick where you are because I am coming through. And so they made me a little picture of myself on a stick that I can wave at people that says pick a lane, jerk face. And so it's amazing. My kids know about it. They scream for me to pull it out. And I do in every traffic situation. I'm there, Bob. And so if I ever pass you and you are going 30 in a 45, you will get the full effect. That's nowhere, neither here nor there. There it goes. Everywhere. No patience. So when I think about patience, I think, okay, I can be patient. In like, like, how long are you asking me to be patient? Like, if, if we're going to talk about patience, I need a time limit on this thing. Like, it's 15 minutes, end of this sermon, like, couple of weeks. And watch, he goes on in the verse to give us a time limit. He says, no, until the Lord returns. Come on, somebody. <laughs> until Jesus, so until the rapture or you die, be patient, everybody. That's what he's saying here. That's what this verse is about. Now, there are a lot of places in Scripture where it commands us to do things. Be of good cheer. Be courageous. Be brave. Be fear not. Do all these things. And I'm like, yeah, come on, baby. That, that speaks to me. But be patient is like, bleh. Like, that's just, this command is not what I want. And I think James know this because he goes four chapters of things that go against what is easy to do. And then in five, he just kind of hits us and he's like, it's an awful command. It is terrible. This is not easy. And yet somehow it is so wrapped up in the life of faith that we live that we have to embrace this. I'm going to spend a few minutes just wrestling with this. If you want to come along on the journey, you are welcome. Grab out your notes and things. We're going to wrestle through this. We're going to work from verse 7 to verse 11. And James actually gives us three different examples. Three occupations, three types of people that we learned from to show us about patience, what it looks like. And honestly, what's more important to me, what it feels like when you're going through it. When you are commanded to be patient, what this actually feels like. First thing we need to do, though, is biblically define it. So we can't go to the English. Bible wasn't written in English. It was translated into English. And so I apologize if you just feel like that's the greatest language ever. We can't go there for the definition. We've got to go back to the Greek. So we're going to pull a biblical definition. This word patience, jot it down if you're taking notes. It actually means to be of a long spirit and to not lose heart. I don't like either one of those. Come on, somebody. It's going to be. So the fact there are two facets to patience, to be of a long spirit, this idea of waiting, and then to not lose heart when you have to do it. Not lose heart in the midst of it. And we're going to get to both of those as we study God's word. First, we're going to jump over Hebrews chapter 6. I want to show you how intertwined these are. This talks about the life of faith. Talks about what we're called to do as Christians. And watch what he says. We don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith inherit what has been promised. Come on, somebody. 
That's how we read it. That's how we like to read it. It says, no, to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Now, I love the subject of faith. I love believing God for big things. I love praying big prayers. I believe that God still heals. I believe he still does miracles. I believe he still moves in the lives of his children. I believe in believing God for incredibly, Lord, you want me in your corner when big prayers are needed. Come on, somebody. I can believe in faith. My world falls apart when there is patience involved. Like, I can pray for the mountain to be moved and thrown into the sea as long as it happens while I am standing there. Come on, somebody. I'm not waiting five months for the mountain to move. I just, I cannot handle it, my world. But I can believe in faith for big things. But when patience is involved is when we start to struggle. When patience is required. Because the Bible says it takes faith and patience that the promise comes. Faith is trusting God to the point that you put into action the things he's called you to do. That's trusting him that it's going to come to pass. That's trusting him to do the things he's called. Faith without works is dead. To have the faith that God will do what he says, to have that that action. But then you have to be willing to wait sometimes a really long time. And through faith and patience. And we'll study today just how tied up in God's promises patience really is. See, I preach preach on faith 50 times more than I preach on patience. That's probably a flaw in my own character, but I don't care. But I preach on faith so many more times, and yet the Bible says it takes both. So back to our text. Verse 7, he starts to say, it takes faith, it takes patience. Be patient then, brothers and sisters. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rain. We're going to break this verse down for just a minute, but jot it down if you're taking notes. The first lesson from the farmer is that patience is waiting. I know that's a little simple for you, but jot it down anyways, everybody. Patience is waiting. Patience, by definition, is waiting. We go back to our Greek definition. It says to be of a long spirit. That means I'm willing to wait for a really long time for God's promises to come to pass. Because I'm not just in this thing if they're just the microwave promises that just happen as soon as I, but actually long spirit, to be of a long, that really is the mark of maturity. I think both in age and in serving the Lord, the longer you do things, the more you begin to realize that the good things take a long time to develop. That oftentimes they take a long time. It takes a while to get from where you are to where God wants you to be. It takes this purification. Sanctification is the big kind of word we use for it. But it just means it takes a while to develop. It, God works on you to develop you into who he's called you to be. Some of the best things take a while. So patience is to be of a long view. To be able to be of a long spirit. It's going to take some time. From when God gives the promise to when the promise comes to pass. And so we go back to our text. It says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. He's waiting patiently for the rains to come. A couple things you need to see. The first one is this word wait. This word wait, it means a confident expectation. So this word, we we have all of our English definitions. In the Greek, this means a confident expectation. And so he's not like, I think this might happen. He's not waiting around his farm like, I hope something happens. I hope I'm inside reading my book and I hope out there something, I just, I I hope something, I'm just sitting around. No, he's got a confident expectation of what will actually happen. It's a confident expectation that will come to pass. In fact, jot it down this way if you're taking notes. The farmer isn't wondering if, he's just waiting for when. The farmer isn't thinking this might, it might, if it happens, if it doesn't, if it what. He's just waiting around, confident expecting of when. See, the lesson of the farmer is God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. If God says it, he will honor his word. If God promises, he will make good on his promise. That's not in question. Waiting on God's promises isn't thinking if, it's just waiting for when. To be patient is to be of a long spirit. Confident expectation that God will do what he says he will do, that he will honor his word. 
That's what we wait for. The lesson of the farmer, not if, but when. It's a matter of timing, and that's when patience comes into play. And many of us give up a bit too early because we waver in the confidence. We wonder why. I wonder if it's going to happen. We let that actually be a part of the conversation. The Bible says you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. Well, the devil is so good at trying to get us to give up. That little gap between the promise being given and the promise coming to pass is when he wants to get us out of the fight altogether. That we can't have patience in the middle of it. That he tries to convince us. It's not that God ever negated his promise. It's that some of us broke the covenant by giving up, by quitting. So the farmer's not giving up on the crop because he knows it's a win. This principle, he knows the principle of the world. You will sow what you reap or you will reap what you sow. This idea that what we put in, that what God has said, that it will come to pass. I think sometimes we quit in the middle of it. We don't like that moment called patience in between the promise and the promise being fulfilled. It's just a matter of time. So we go back to our text. It says he waits with this confident expectation that the crop is going to come, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring wait. I think that's fascinating. That speaks there that there are seasons to life. That he's waiting, he's in a season, and he's waiting then for the autumn and the spring rains to come. That there are seasons in life. One of the great lessons of the farmer in patience is there is preparation that's needed for this thing to happen. Like he's waiting for the harvest to come. He's waiting in confident expectation. The farmer knows that God will honor his word, but he's also done his part. I think it's interesting that he uses this concept of a farmer. Farmer wasn't asleep when the seasons of sowing took place. It wasn't like a person in town is waiting for the crop to come because he needs to eat. It says the farmer, the farmer did what he needed to do. See, he put his seed in the ground and then he's waiting with this confident expectation that the harvest is going to come. There are seasons in this life. Not every season of life is a harvest season. And I think that is one of the hardest lessons to learn, not only about patience, but about this Christian walk, that you do not harvest blessing every season of life. That there are seasons of planting, there are seasons of suffering, there are seasons of sowing, there are seasons. There are seasons that look nothing like a season of harvest or a season of blessing. But the farmer is waiting because he's done the right thing in the right season to be prepared. There are seasons of watering and purifying and waiting. The farmer has done the right thing in the right season, so now he waits for the confident expectation. The farmer's not in the house thinking, like, I hope somebody sowed some seed out there because God said there's going to be a harvest. I really hope somebody did something. I'll just check out the window and just peek. I hope somebody's out there working. I hope that somebody did what was right in the season so that now I can reap. That's not what the farmer's doing. You don't get to like your kids at 25, 30 years old and be like, I hope somebody taught them the word of God. I really hope so. I hope we're going to reap a blessing and a harvest that they're going to. You don't get to that point at 18 and they come to you and be like, father, mother, I know you never did anything. But now I am a well-adjusted, ready to serve the world, following after God adult. It's just right. That doesn't happen. You got to go through the seasons in the right season, doing what is for the harvest. You don't get to the end and be like, well, my marriage, I hope everything just works out. I hope that they just, just one day God's going to turn them into the perfect person that I envisioned in my mind. Just one day they're going to become the thing. God will fix them. That's what's going to just one. No, you go through seasons where you have the hard conversations and you have the intense fellowship and you have the times that you're growing and learning and sacrificing and compromising. So then you've done the right thing in the right season. Farmer has the confident expectation. He's done what he needs to do in the right season. And he knows that God will honor his word. There's an expectation. You got to do what you're supposed to do in the season you're supposed to do it. Verse 8, he goes on to say, you too be patient. Another one of those commands. Be patient and stand firm. So have the confident expectation. Be willing of a long spirit to wait, but then stand firm in the midst of the waiting. Jot this down if you're taking notes. This is a lot to verse 8 as well. What you need to know is standing firm does not mean standing still. 
I think we get this mixed up because of the English translation. I'm not really sure exactly how we do it, but myself included, we think standing firm means just standing still, like laying on the couch eating potato chips, waiting for God to do what he said, just waiting, standing. That's not what it means. It means resolutely focused in the right direction. That's what the word means. Standing firm means resolutely focused. So he says, be patient, but never lose your focus. Be patient, but keep your eyes on the prize. Be patient in the season that God has you in, but then recognize what you need to be focused on in that season. Because we all think, well, if I'm not focused on the harvest, if it's not a season of blessing, then I don't need to really do anything. No, we say focused in the season God has us. Being patient doesn't mean standing still. Standing firm means we are staying focused on what God has called us to in the season. In other words, jot it down. Patient isn't inactivity. It's focused on the right activity. We're focused on what God has called. I got to be patient, but in my patience, I'm not standing around waiting on God to do everything in my life because God has not called us to be lazy, everybody. He's called us to stand firm, to be of a long spirit, but we're going to stand firm knowing that the outcome is in his hands. I'm willing to be of a long spirit because I know God is going to be at work and I'm going to stay focused on what he's called me to in the season I'm in, whether it's a season of pain or a season of suffering. I'm going to stay focused, my eyes on the prize, on the dream, because I know God will honor his word. And then the other part that helps us, I think, in this, I think James puts it there to help us in this moment. He says, so be of of patience and be of a long spirit and stand firm. And then watch this, because the Lord's coming is near. Back to verse 8, the end of that. He says, the Lord's coming is close. And so then we recognize, even in seasons of patience, And it's not about possessions, it's not about titles, it's not about this life or this world around us, it's about the life to come. You want to set your eyes, you want to focus on the right things. You set your eyes on eternity that God has called us to. In every season of the Christian life, setting our eyes on eternity is what God has called us. Whether it's a season of blessing or a season of harvest or it's a season of pain. Paul said, I've learned to be content in every scenario, whether I have everything or I have nothing. Whether I am blessed or whether I am walking through a season of pain and tragedy and suffering, whatever it is, I have learned to be content. We have set our eyes not on this life, but the life to come on eternity because that is what matters. It's not possessions. It's not money. It's not titles. It's not homes. It's not anything that we waste all our time going after. It is eternity. He says, be patient, be of a long spirit, be able to stand firm. Why? Because the Lord's coming is near. It's about winning the lost. It's about Eternity, it's about salvation, it's about what Christ has done. And if we actually realize that, I think it would change the way that we focus our lives during these seasons. Because this to me, everything that we do, everything that we do is about this. And so we're raising our children, not only for their life and for the gospel we preach, but then that our family would look as a gospel, as a light to the world around us. We work on our marriages Not only to be examples to each other, to love one another as Christ loved the church, but then also that we could be a light to the world around us about what it looks like to have a godly marriage. Even what we do as a church, that we come together, the way that we worship, the way that we live in unity, the way that we love one another should show to others what unity and love actually looks like. We are called to be light because we are called to focus on eternity. And that and that alone is why there is breath in our lungs. It's the reason why we meet together. And honestly, it makes it easier to do what we do when we recognize that. Because when we're focused on the lost, when we're focused on seeing the gospel preached, when somebody comes in and they're like, well, why does the church do it this way? And why do you sing that song instead of my song? And why don't I get to sit where I want to sit? And why can't I have, because I came in and it was full and somebody was sitting in my seat. Why can't we have this? And why can't, it makes it so much easier when we actually know what we're here for. 
then we don't bicker and fight about all the trivial things. We understand that there are thousands of people outside of these doors headed for a Christless eternity, and you and I are called to reach them with the gospel of Christ. And so if we recognize that, we won't bicker and moan about the paint color or the song list. We'll recognize. Listen to Yeah, we can... When somebody is like on the emergency room table dying of a gunshot wound, I thought about this. It, the doctor doesn't suddenly like in the middle of surgery suddenly say like, time out. Like we did not talk about what color our scrubs are. Like halt everything, pause everything, shut off the machines. We got to talk about like blue, green. They got all kinds of colors now. You can pick any kind of scrub color. I got flower imprints. Like is everybody okay with this? Like should we discuss this? Should we take a vote? Like we, no, you save the person that is on the table. And if the church is a spiritual hospital, we have gotten so distracted by everything but. We have taken our eyes off of what we are actually supposed to be focused on. And it may look different during seasons. It may sound different during seasons. It may be so off the wall during seasons. But we have focused on reaching the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we are focused on that, all the other things fall away. All the other things fall out. So we have to be patient. I told you, James is stepping on your toes, not me, everybody. Saying, focus where God has called us to be, because ultimately this life is not about this life. And all throughout these chapters, I hope you're realizing it too, but we are one breath away from meeting our maker face to face. We are one moment. Let's keep our focus on eternity. Here's what happens when we don't. Verse 9, if you don't keep it in context, verse 9 almost seems out of place. But we have worked the progression here. See where we are. He says, so don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. It almost seems out of place until you understand the context of where we've come. Verse 7, verse 8, now verse 9. You say, okay, make sure that your focus, stay firm, stay patient, make sure you're focused in the season because Jesus is coming back. Well, what happens in seasons of patience? That happens for me. I don't know if it happens for you. For seasons of patience, what happens when they grow longer is we grow impatient. When we are patient, When we are called to be patient, commanded to be patient, when the season gets longer than we would like, longer than the 15 minutes that I am able to go in patience, we grow impatient. We get our eyes off of the prize. And what happens when we don't focus on eternity and we don't set our eyes on Jesus, we get our eyes off of what matters, what happens? We set our eyes on people, the people around us. And I don't know if you realize this, but all of us are human. I know AI is on the rise, but all of us still are human in this room. Come on, somebody. All of us are human, and it means every single person in your life will let you down because every single person is flawed. And so when we set our eyes off of what we should be focusing on, we start to put them on people. Here's the problem James tells us. When we don't focus on the right things, we will blame people for everything. So we're not focused in patience. We're not focused in standing firm. And so we start to blame the people in our lives for every. Don't grumble and complain against people. Why? Because that's our tendency. We get our eyes off eternity. We get our eyes on what God is doing, our eyes off of what our focus should actually be. And we start blaming the people in our lives. We start telling ourselves, well, God's not going to come through for me. And he must have abandoned me. And the blessing's not going to happen because I just can't be of a long spirit anymore. I'm just tired of waiting. And maybe it means it's never going to happen. And maybe it means that it's always going to be this. And when we lose our focus, instead of that, what do we do? We start to blame people. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody who just blames people? You know why I didn't get the blessing? You know why this thing didn't happen in my life? You know why I didn't get that thing? It's because of that, that person I'm married to. It's because of that jerk that God gave me. It's because of this thing that happened. That's why I didn't. That's why I didn't. It's because I just, I married the wrong person, and so I must just, it must not happen. Or I went in the wrong place, and so it must not be there for me. Or the boss's fault, because they said this, and so it just can't happen. Or, Lord, these children that you gave me, it's just, you gave me the wrong children, Lord. 
You just gave, these are demons, not children. You gave me, Lord, you just gave me the wrong kid. That's why it's not happening in my life. Why another thing? It's just, it's the boss's fault. It's my high school baseball coach's fault. It's my thing. Every, every softball player, every guy who's ever upset about that is just like, I didn't go to the league because my coach didn't put me in in high school. That's what happened. We blame everybody in our life. And it's a sad story over and over. When you put the blame on everybody else for your problems, you are putting them in control of your destiny. You are saying they are in control of your life. And it is a lie from the pit of hell. God is in control of your life. God holds every second in every decision. God has never called them to be your God. They don't have control over the outcome of your life. They don't have control over the joy in your life. They don't have control over the peace in your life. And they certainly don't have any say over God's promises in your life. But we put them in control of it. And we blame the people in our lives. I'm just saying, get your eyes off them. Everybody will disappoint you. Every person will let you down. Every person is flawed. When we're waiting for the promise, when we're in a season of patience, we got to stay focused on the goal. That's what Joseph did. I don't know if you know, if you're not familiar with the story of Joseph, you find it in Genesis chapter 50. Really, it's a culmination. It leads up in kind of the mid-40s, up to 50. Talks about this guy that is betrayed in every type of way that you can imagine. Has a promise from God, very clear promise from God about being in leadership. And what happens? He is not promoted to leadership. He is betrayed by his family, thrown in the pit, and sold into slavery by his family. They hate him so much, but he stays faithful. And so you would think, well, God's going to turn this thing around. And so then he goes into slavery. He's sold into a household, and he stands for his morals. He stands for what is right. He stands for purity. And he's lied about betrayed and thrown in prison. You're like, God should honor that. He stands for what is right and he's thrown into prison. And then you think, okay, well, that's the end of it. He's finally thrown into prison. Bad or good, that's got to be the end. He's betrayed in prison. You know how hard it is to get betrayed like that at the end of Joseph's life by people that he helps get out of prison? He helps them. It should be this moment of like, okay, finally, the gift God gave him is delivering him from this moment. And yet he's betrayed by them, forgotten and left to rot. And we say, well, I know, Pastor Ben, that's a great story, but I just flipped the page because everything turns out good. We're like, we just flipped the page. We do this so often in the Bible. We're like, look, chapter 36, but look, chapter 40, good things are coming. I would remind you, this is years and years of this man's life. Like we flipped the page in one devotion and we're like, well, look, God worked everything out. Years he spends in prison. And Joseph's story, you know what it should have been? I am a depressed and bitter I, God didn't come through for me. My family betrayed me. My friends left me for dead. He should have said, this is the end of all things. I have tried every which way. His story should have been, I am depressed and stressed out. God has abandoned me. My family has betrayed me. My friends have walked away. So now I deserve to be angry. I deserve to be bitter. And we would say, yeah, Joseph, you deserve, but Joseph didn't do that. See, that's some of our story here today. We say, well, I walked through this. And I had to go through a season of that. And so-and-so did this to me. And they said this about me. And they did this to my life. And they shipwrecked this idea. And they derailed whatever it was. And so I deserve to be angry. I deserve to be bitter. Because clearly God didn't come through for me. And neither did anybody in the world. And Joseph would have sat a dried up, bitter old man in prison. Because too often we get our eyes off of the prize. Joseph didn't do that. He got his eyes off the betrayal. He didn't set his eyes or his focus on anything around him, on any choice somebody, he wasn't focused on the pain, he wasn't focused on the people because Joseph knew they didn't control his life, God did. 
They didn't have the say. God did it. Every turn, he embraced the season with a long spirit, knowing that God's promises would come to pass. After the first setback, the second setback, the third, and guess what happened? All of a sudden, the king has a dream. I thought this was so interesting that the people in the prison had dreams and Joseph interpreted them. The gifting God gave him. And so he would have thought, surely this is the time, and it wasn't. And yet now the king has a dream, and the gifting God gave him is what allows him to interpret the king's dream. And suddenly he's taken from the prison to the palace, second in command, the greatest nation on the face of the earth at the time. And he stands there, chapter 50, he stands there in front of his brothers. They come to him, and he says these words. He says, your intention, if you intended to harm me, listen to me. I'm not making light of whatever has happened in your life. I think there are people that intend to harm you. I'm not saying it was an accident or a mistake. There are people who are intentionally talking about you, intentionally betraying you, intentionally trying to stab you in the back or drag you down, intentionally trying to hurt your life. I'm not trying to make light of that. There are people just like in Joseph's life. He said, you intended to harm me. You intended for this thing to take me out. He says, you intended at every turn. But God knew all along this evil would take place, and he worked it for the good. You intended to harm, but God intended for good. He's brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. It wasn't even about Joseph. It was about what God wanted to do through his life. And Joseph recognized that in every season that he was in that God was at work. I need you to know that when the devil thinks he's got you down, when the devil thinks he's bringing things against you, God is like, thank you for this. I will use it now to do what I want to do. When the devil wants to do something in your life to tear you down, that God is like, thank you. I will use this now to accelerate their destiny. I appreciate what you gave me. Now I will use it for the good. And we have to recognize in every season that God is still at work because all of a sudden Joseph is brought to this place, all of his life a preparation for this moment, but he never got focused on people. He never got focused on the pain. He never let people be a God to him. He never let them control the outcome of his life. That God was still on his throne. And what they intended for harm and for evil, God turned for the good. Listen to me. If it's not good, then God is not done. That God can turn anything for his kingdom and for his purpose. But we got to stay focused, even in a season of waiting. Verse 10, here's the second example. He says, brothers and sisters, as an example of pain and suffering, take the prophets. So he's given us these, take the prophets, he spoke in the name of the Lord. In this idea, as an example of patience in the face, here's the second thing, the prophet's lesson, and that is patience feels like suffering. Get an amen in God's house today. It's not fun to wait. And when there is a gap between the promise being given and the promise coming to pass, it's never a fun season. And I've walked this with people who have walked through greater pain and greater things and seasons than I have ever been called to walk through. But I can promise you this, this gap between the promise and the promise coming to pass. So patience, the farmer says, is waiting. You're going to wait for a long time, so be of a long spirit. Focused on the right thing, standing firm, this confident expectation. Well, then the prophet's lesson brings us this second definition. We talked about patience, be of a long spirit, but then to not lose heart. And those things go in hand. We can be of a long spirit, but a lot of us will give up. But to not lose heart, the prophet's lesson, that way you don't lose heart as we keep our perspective correct. In the midst of the heartache, in the midst of the pain, we don't let it get us down because we know that God is at work. This perspective. Because the devil would love to beat you up in the middle of it. If you are in a season of waiting right now, you understand the attacks that come, he would love to take you out of the fight before you ever see the promise come to pass. But the, the message of the farmer, to be of a long spirit, the message of the prophet, This idea that patience is suffering. The lie that comes, well, the God's not going to come through for you. 
Well, God must not really love you if he brought you suffering that has to take place. We talked about this week one, that it's this purification process, that God is developing something on the inside of us, this perseverance. He says, consider the prophets. You know, every time the prophet would bring a word or like bring a a message of like, this is what's going to happen or this is what your sin looks like. You know, the people weren't like, praise the Lord, hallelujah for the prophet. We are so happy you have come to us. We are so grateful that you have told us, yes, our sin is so great. Yes, this is what has happened. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. We need to repent. No, it would be followed by seasons of pain and suffering, seasons of correction, where maybe a nation would come in and conquer the children of Israel, or maybe there would be times of suffering and pain that would come, or punishment, all of these things that would happen, and God would use it to create some spiritual momentum in the amazing way that he does. But ain't nobody being thankful when the prophet came through the door. Because this would be a time of season of suffering that the people's sin were responsible for. There's going to be pain in the waiting. You and I have to be ready. Don't lose your focus. Don't lose your focus. You got to don't lose the confident expectation that God gives us. If you're standing firm, James says, be patient. Stand firm. And it's going to come to pass in your life. God's word will come true. You got to stay focused. Can't lose heart. And then he finishes with this thought in verse 11. As you know, we count as blessed. So he started with the command, and then he's talking about the prophets. So then he says, we count as blessed. This is not the word I would have put into this chapter. This is what James finishes up with. He says, we count as blessed those who have persevered. We count as blessed those who have had to be patient. We count as blessed those who have had this season of suffering or of persecution or of pain or of tragedy or of sorrow. We count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance. And you've seen what the Lord finally brought about in Job's life. As we close, Job kind of wraps this all up. Just a reminder that patience ends in God's blessing. As we see the progression he's come through, he says, patience, be of long suffering. Be of this, this idea of you have to wait. Be of in this moment of pain and suffering. And then he comes into the second part of the prophet. That patience is suffering. That it's going to feel like this. But then he ends with Job. And he says, you've seen this idea of Job's life, consider what has happened, that if you're not willing to wait and you're not willing to suffer, but then he says, but if you are, then God can use you. Listen to me, church. It's one of the hardest things to understand the Christian life, but if you're not willing to suffer for God, God cannot use you for his kingdom. If you're not willing to walk through a season of pain or a season of suffering or a season of sorrow, God cannot use you to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in this world. If you're not willing to wait, through faith and patience. And that was Job's story. You remember Job had everything taken from him, everything he loved and cared about in life. It was a devout man, loved the Lord with all his heart, lived his life in the purest way he knew how, but at the lowest point of his life, lost his health, lost his family, lost all his businesses, lost his wealth, lost everything he cared about. And his wife came to him and said, curse God and die. That's like the lowest, can you imagine? And Job looks at her and he says, is God only God in the good times? Is he only God when things are good? Is he only God when the rains come? Is he only God when the harvest is coming? Is he only God in the seasons when I'm good and I'm blessed and I'm comfortable? No, I'll praise him in the pain as well. I praise him in the suffering. And that's a lesson you and I need to learn because in the midst of the pain is when God is at work. In the midst of the suffering. And so James says, look how blessed Job was. Well, Job had 30 chapters of wrestling with this. Of listening to his friends who tried to get him kind of sideways and backwards with God. His terrible friends. Their terrible advice. Come on, somebody. Of trying to get him sideways with God. 
And then he has moments where God deals with him, not as a child. God deals with him as a man, tries to, I mean, it's, you go back and read Job. Job has these chapters, and finally at the end of the book, he repents, and he says, God, you have always been God. And whether or not you ever bless me again, whether or not you ever touch my life again, I will still serve you. You can read it, into the, the verse we put on, the, it says, though he slays me, I'll still trust him. Though he ruins me, I will still serve him. Though he never touches my life again. You want to talk about patience, being of a long-suffering spirit, staying focused on the right thing. Though he kills me, I'll still serve him. If you never rescue me, God, I'll still love you. If you never come through in this lifetime, I will still serve you with all of my life. And look at what God did for Job. Watch in this verse in Job, it says, When he prayed and the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. James said, look at the blessing of Job. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half even more than he did in the beginning. That he blessed him. Some of you might be in a waiting season of life. Some of you might be called in this waiting season. I would just remind you that even in the chapter about the faith of the heroes of the faith. In the first half, it talks about those who were blessed and those who were healed and those who were brought through. And in the second half, it talks about those who were ripped apart by lions and those who never even got to see the promise in this life. But it says, but at the end of this, and it is a hard season of life, but I promise you God's word comes to pass that he says, even as we serve him. And Job's had the long view. For Job, it happened right then when God began to pray. For some people, he talks about the heroes of the faith. It didn't even happen in this life, but I promise you that that is the long view we have of the life to come. And I was thinking about it this weekend. You know, there's, I read the story of Job and sometimes it doesn't sit right with me. I'm like, okay, God gave him twice what he had, but what he had was special to Job, that it was the people that he loved. It was the family that he had, that thing. And so I thought about it in this life when we suffer loss. And I had a friend of mine who suffered loss this weekend. And his mother passed away. And when I think about these things, I think about the loss that we suffered. I think about Job and yeah, God gave him twice what he had, but he didn't give him back the kids that he lost. He didn't give him back the things that he lost. He didn't give him back those relationships. Yeah, it was great for that life, but what about it? And I thought about it. And then I thought about James' promise where James says, God will make good on his words that he has blessed us. That think about Job, if we suffer, if we walk through these things, but the blessing that he gives us. And I thought about that, that the blessing that we have on this side of the cross It's not that God would give us twice what we lost in this life. I promise you, all those riches and things, those things pass away. You can't take it with you anyways. The promise we have on this side of the cross is the promise of eternity, that the ones that we have lost, we will see again. The promise that God has given us is not that we would have, that those that go before us, that we don't grieve as those without hope, that the promise that God has given us, that he will give us back what we have lost, that we will see them again. And those of us who are lost, that is a greater promise of God than any wealth or riches you could possibly heap up at my door. But we're in this season, a season of suffering or a season of sorrow or a season that requires patience. But the promise we've been given is greater than any promise that God gave Job, greater than any promise that any of those, they said they didn't even get to see the promise. They just looked from afar that we had this promise in this life but that our faith and through patience that God will honor his word. Don't give up just because life takes you through a season of suffering. Don't give up just because it looks dark or bleak around us. We hold to the promises of God's word that he has given us, not just for this life, but for eternity. That is secure in him.
Don't get your eyes on people. Don't blame others for the things that have happened. Don't give up on God. There are seasons to life. Others of you, you might be here today, and you're like, you know what, Ben, it's too late for me. I gave up on God a long time ago. So there's no way I can make this thing right. There's no way I could work my way back. There's no way I could heal all the things. And you're right, there's no way you can. But I love how James finishes this verse. I love this thought. It's for all of us at verse 11, but especially for those you say, oh, I ran out on God. I turned away from him. I did. Watch what he ends with this thought. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. He comes through this thought. Patience is suffering. Patience is waiting. But even if you run, even it's this amazing thought. And James has done this in so many chapters so far. He's given us what we're doing wrong. He's given us what we've given up. He's given us this idea that maybe we have turned away. Maybe we have run so far. Maybe we have given up. But he says, but the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. How incredible that no matter what it is that we've done, that God is still there with compassion and mercy for us. No matter how far we've run, that he can run further. No matter how far that we have turned ourselves, no matter if we have turned away from him, he has never turned away from us. That he's full of compassion, that there is mercy. That it's found at the throne of grace. And so Job says, doesn't matter what we've done. Doesn't matter how far you've gone. That there's mercy and there's grace and there's compassion for you. His forgiveness. God still loves you. That He still wants you. No matter how far we think we've turned, that He has never turned His face from us. Bow your heads with me as we pray today. Listen, church, patience is not a natural attribute. It's something we got to pray for the Holy Spirit to put in our lives. It's something we have to have worked out in us by the purification. And so I want to take a minute and just pray that God would put that in us. That God would begin to develop that patience, whatever it looks like. If it looks like a season of suffering, if that's what we need to develop it, that God would do it. If it looks like we need to walk through it, that he would walk through it with us. And I want to pray for that. Because patience, by definition, means we're going to have to wait. It means we're going to have to suffer. I promise you, patience ends in God's blessing. Before we pray that, though, there are some of you here today. And you are as far from God as you can possibly. And I don't know how you got there. Maybe you took your eyes off of him. Maybe a season of life caused you to run. Maybe you were never close to God. And it's the first time you're hearing that he loves you and that he wants you. And maybe you ran so far from him because of a hurt or because of something that happened. Because you got your eyes off of him and you set it on people and they failed you. Don't know where you got where you are, but I do know what the next step needs to be. Nobody can force you to take it. Nobody can pressure you into this. Nobody's going to make you have to. That's not what this is about. I'm just offering. That wherever you are right now, I'm just offering. We would love to pray with you. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. Come to the front. I'm not looking to embarrass you. My heart is so far from that. I would. This moment is about offering this free gift that is available to you. And if anything would hinder you from that, right now you make a decision right where you are in the room, watching online. If you hear this right now, you have a chance to make a decision. And it is the heart of our church 
that we could just offer the gospel. We could just show you Jesus in the way that we live, in the way that we love, in the words that we say, that you would come to this moment and realize that Jesus loves you, that he gave his life for you, that he rose from the dead, that he carried all of your sins to the cross, nailed them there, left them there. And because of his death and resurrection, you have an opportunity to be wiped clean and to have your eternity secured. You want to have that eternity. You have a moment here. I don't know what happens after this. I don't know where your life goes. I don't know the spiritual path you have to take. I don't know all of that. I know right now you have a chance. So we're going to pray this with you. All of our church, we pray this. Nobody prays alone. If you make that decision, pray with us as we say. Say these words. Say, Jesus, forgive me of all my mistakes, of all my sin. I repent. I believe you died on a cross. I believe you rose again and I make you Lord of my life in Jesus' name. Now, God, I thank you for every person here. Lord, I thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit to put patience in our life, that we need it desperately. So, Father, for those who are struggling in the midst of suffering, those who are struggling in the midst of waiting, Father, that you would develop in us to be of a long spirit and to not lose heart pray right now, Holy Spirit, be at work. Bring your peace, bring your healing, bring your suffering. That we could have it developed inside of us. Perseverance and hope. And walk with us every step of the way. We pray it all in Jesus' name. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on church, can we give God praise for what he said today?